Hey everyone, John Heilman here, and welcome to Hell on High Water, my podcast for the recount about politics and culture on the edge of Armageddon, with big ups to my pal Riza, the presiding genius behind the sound of Wu-Tang Clan, and producer of our dope theme music. Although this podcast is a highly collaborative venture, put together by a fantastic team whose members get a loud and lusty and well-deserved shout-out at the end of every episode, and although those episodes owe a vast degree of whatever quality they might have to the guests that we're able to rope into spending time with us each week, often against their better judgment and the adamant advice of their lawyers, agents, and physicians, anyone with a passing familiarity with Hell and High Water and its host knows that the show basically boils down to the world, according to John Heilman. For better or worse, and sometimes much worse, it's just true. But this week, we have with us someone who has as singular, as expansive, and as idiosyncratic view of the universe as I do. Also someone whose ego, like mine, is sufficiently robust, and unlike mine, rightly so, since the guy I'm talking about is one of our age's true Renaissance men, that he's the star of an incredible TV show that revolves entirely around his aforementioned take on and wide-ranging explorations of that aforementioned universe. It's a show that's just about to drop a new batch of episodes on Disney Plus comprising the second half of its second season. A show about which, if you haven't seen it, all I can say is, wow, that's quite a fuck up. A show that goes by a name that is literally music to my ears. The world, according to Jeff Goldblum. Now, it's a well-worn cliche to say that this or that Hollywood celebrity needs no introduction, but in this case, it's literally true. Jeff Goldblum really does require no introduction, because what sane person, with even a modicum of taste, doesn't already know and adore Jeff Goldblum? You know Jeff Goldblum from his astonishing and distinctive filmic resume, which encompasses at least, and we counted, we we can't quite figure it out, but at least 78 big screen credits. From tiny parts in Nashville, Annie Hall and The Right Stuff, to supporting roles in The Big Chill, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Thor, Ragnarok, to star turns in two of the highest grossing films of the 1990s, Jurassic Park and Independence Day, along with their various sequels, to memorable appearances in cult classics like The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, Earth Girls Are Easy, and Igby Goes Down, to his membership in Wes Anderson's regular troupe of players, with whom he's been seen in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Grand Budapest Hotel and Isle of Dogs, and not least, his magisterial and transformative portrayal of Dr. Seth Brundle in David Cronenberg's 1986 masterpiece, The Fly. You know Jeff Goldblum from the small screen, too, from Law and Order, Criminal Intent, from Will and Grace, for which he received an Emmy nomination, from cameos on Sesame Street, Larry Sanders, Portlandia, Inside Amy Schumer, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Friends, to his voice roles on King of the Hill, Mr. Show, and The Simpsons. You know him from Broadway, from video games, and from the earliest TV commercials for the Apple iMac. For the better part of the past 50 years, Jeff Goldblum has seemingly been everywhere doing everything, creating this enviable body of work, and quite obviously having a ball. Being charming and delightful, eccentric and enigmatic, and utterly, always himself. Jeff and I have been friends for a few years now, and while the dude's next birthday will be, brace yourself, his 70th here on planet Earth, 
Every time our paths cross, he radiates the unbridled and manic energy of a college freshman who has just discovered the wonders of mescaline, and he shows no signs of slowing down. Just last week saw the release of the final season of Search Party, in which Jeff introduces a new character to this beloved series, billionaire Tunnel Quinn, whom he brilliantly plays as a combination of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Willy Wonka on a quest to find enlightenment in a pill. Next week sees the drop of part two of season two of The World According to Jeff Goldblum, in which our hero feeds his insatiable curiosity, which in past episodes have led him to explore subjects including dogs, dance, fireworks, magic, and monsters, by diving into five new topics, puzzles, backyards, birthdays, motorcycles, and, quote, tiny things, unquote, whatever the fuck that means. In June, we'll see him in the latest installment of the Dinosaurs Gone Mad franchise, in which he plays the iconic chaos theorist, Dr. Ian Malcolm. That would be Jurassic World, Dominion. And then, likely later this year, comes the next Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, in which Jeff will appear alongside Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Adrian Brody, Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Rupert Friend, Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Brian Cranston, Liev Schreiber, <laughs> and many more. I mean, talk about an all-star cast. As if all this weren't enough, Jeff also is the leader of and plays piano in a jazz band, the Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, whose debut album, The Capitol Studio Sessions, went to number one on the Billboard Jazz Chart in 2018. Jeff and the band have a standing residency at the Pendry Hotel in Hollywood, and that is where we caught up with him recently for this episode of the podcast. It was a wild and woolly and rollicking conversation, which has yielded a wild and woolly and rollicking episode, different in style and structure and substance from what we usually serve up around here. The weirdness and the wonderfulness were in full effect from the very start, when I asked Jeff to do the thing we always ask our guests to do, hold forth on the state of something, in this case, the state of Hollywood, and... Bing, bang, boom. We were off to the races and never look back. And neither will you. As you kick off your shoes, swallow the red pill, and imbibe in an episode that might be called, with all due apologies to J.S. Bach, the first and only Goldberg variation of Hell and High Water. The state of Hollywood is, in my opinion, as follows. I'm just uh, thinking about this right now. Yeah. The state of Hollywood. I think that says it all. But let me add to that. <laughs> let me add to that this. Hey, what do I know? Is the, the real answer is what do I know? I just like the story about the blind man and the elephant. Yeah. All I know is my piece of experience, touching the tail or whatever. And so, um, hey. I, I know uh, uh, a lot of interesting people out here. I'm so lucky to cross paths with and yeah. work with some interesting, vital, intelligent, talented, kind, vibrant people in the film industry yeah. and in the music industry. So I would say it's spectacular because it is, as we know, Hollywood right now, currently, as we could say the same about many other places and activities. Uh, it's part of the continuum of what's going on on planet Earth. Yes. Not to telescope out too much, but because you're such a big thinker, mm. you make me think of it. You know, it's, it's nothing but good. It's always precarious. It's precarious, as we know. I don't have to go into it. You know more about that than I do. But where we are right now is vibrantly and maybe uniquely lucky and so spectacularly worthy of celebration. 
you know, that's the story. Do we have challenges in one pocket of life or another at one little time or another right here, right now? We certainly do. We certainly do. Hey, the name of this show, I believe, yeah, yeah. is Hell and High Water. And yeah. by the way, I hope I'm not going on too long in answer to this question. And by the way, isn't it hell or high water? I think I, I got to ask you where you came up with this change of conjunction or the use of the less familiar conjunction. I think that's the right. Uh, hell or high water was what I most, uh, you know, have been familiar with in my ear. But I think they both mean despite the challenges. Yes. We are going to, and I say about Hollywood, the same as I guess your theme is, mm. Come H-E double hockey sticks, because I don't like to be vulgar, or and slash high water, which means what we may be experiencing actually literally at some point soon, we will prevail. Or we will ennoble uh, ourselves by using our full resources and uh, our best selves. I would like to say that um, is that the best answer that any anybody's ever given. We, we can wrap, now. or the worst, We're or the worst wrap. answer. That no, but the thing is, given. no one, no one's really fully appreciated either the the tweak of the title, or, or nobody's or, mentioned it, or the the larger gestalt. Well, the the epistemological underpinnings. Yes, in quite the way you have. I'm just well. I'm just imagining. I'd like. To, I'm curious about it. I like to ask about it. But I'm just imagining that when you said, "Hey, what should we call it? Licorice pizza?" or blah 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 blah, mm -hmm. you said, "Well." What's the idea? Well, we're going to power through, yes. even though we may be, yes. uh, these, these may be yes. difficult times. Yes. So we're going to do it come yes. hell or high water. And the and, the and, yes. is merely to signify that at the time when we started the show, in the middle of a pandemic, a recession, a racial justice reckoning, and Donald Trump, yeah. that we were facing more than hell or high water. We were facing hell and high water. Yo, yo. It was an intentional thing. Now, people have asked why the show isn't called Heil at High Water, which I think is a, would be a cheap pun. Say it again. Heil, like Heil. 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 People ask this question sometimes. Why don't you call the show Heil and High Water? And I say, that would be a cheap pun. And I'm not cheap. I, and I, I like cheap. a good pun, but that's a, that's a cheap self-referential pun. I would I, never go down that path, well, Jeff. I think you know me the well pun enough. as you're not cheap. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Cheap jackery is not my thing. No, no, you're no jackanapes. It's certainly not. And uh, you're certainly not cheap. But the pun is the lowest form of uh, humor. There, there's no getting around that. But here's my first thought on that. Yes, it uses your name, which is fine and dandy. Of course, everybody knows John Hum. But I would be careful about about separating the Heil from the Heilman. Right. Because well, Heil too. gets us too yeah. close to Heil. I want to play something. Uh, want to play some of this I'm world play, according to Jeff Goldblum? Some, yeah, some, something relative. I was yes. going to call it the world according to Heil. And Heil. Yeah. High water. Yeah. The world according to... Okay, so let's yeah. play this trailer. Oh, it's a trailer. Sure. Here we go. Here it is. Are you like me, Jeff Goldblum? Maybe we share an interest in... Monsters. Fireworks. Magic. Motorcycles. Dogs. Let's do that. Hmm? Want to take some photos with him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes life's most important moments demand courage. The journey is it, not the destination. Enjoy the ride. That's 10 gold blooms out of a possible 10 gold blooms. That's my highest possible rating. I want to ask you about the world according to Jeff Goldblum because it's the second season. It's now streaming, right? 
Yes, thank that's you. right, on yeah. Disney Plus. Yeah, cool. thank you for showing that uh, trailer. I got a kick out of that trailer. The people who did this, I work with good yeah. people, as yeah. do you, yeah. but those Nat Geo people and Utopia people, they're very good. I once made a series with Jane Root. I love her very much, and Sarah Railsberg, yeah. and Arifner Mohammed and John Hudson on this. But, but you need people, for us to be ourselves, or for us to do whatever we're doing, Yes. you need people to, you know, make at least me seem coherent and, you know, watchable in some way. So there's something kind of self-explanatory about the notion of the world according to Jeff Goldblum. Is there? Well, I mean, <laughs> you're exploring the world and you're seeing the world through your eyes. I would say the world according to Jeff Goldblum has a certain suggestion of what we're going to be getting without even seeing it. Right? I guess. So. But I want to ask you the question, why did you want to make this series in the first place? And what's different about season two than season one? What did you learn in season one that makes season two different? Two excellent questions. Excellent, excellent questions. I'll tell you, here's, here's what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't my impulse that made me, I, I didn't come to anybody, I didn't have the idea I want to make this show. Yeah. Here's what happened. I was on, do you remember that show? I think maybe it's still on. Do you know Explorer on Nat Geo? Yeah. They were fooling around with a format yeah. a few years ago. And they said, hey, Jeff Goldblum, along with, some other people, they said, Can, do, do three of these. You want to do three of these? I said, okay, I like National Geographic, all things National Geographic, and da da da, da. Anyway, I did them. We finished them. Yeah. It, and there was an interview, there were some interviews. Uh, Norm Eisen, you know Norm Eisen. I know Norm Eisen. I suggested that I interview him, and he was, you know, fa fantastic to talk to. And Sam Rockwell, I said, let me talk to Sam Rockwell. And so I had a nice conversation that was kind of directed in its, uh, they were very nice. I loved them. That's why we wound up doing something. But it was a little different. I'll tell you what happened. So anyway, I did that, and then I was in a studio on these shows. You could look back on them. And I was in a studio, and there were some teleprompter things, and I would read them, and we'd do the show. Yeah. And there'd be, you know, people out in the field and da 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 Anyway, afterwards they said, hey, you kind of made that your own and da 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 and, and I like you. I said, well, I like you. You're so smart. They said, do you want to do a show where you do more of that? Right. Some kind of thing where you're the host. Yeah. There was no name or anything like that. Uh, I said, yeah, maybe. Let's, let's talk about it. I've never, maybe, I, I don't know. And so we started talking about it. And I did start to have clear ideas and convictions about kind of what I might enjoy doing. Yeah. Which was that, uh, it may not be so groundbreaking or anything, but for me, I like to improvise. You know, I studied with a Sandy Meisner, a fellow wonderful teacher whose cornerstone of his acting training was an improvisation. And I taught it and wanted to learn everything about kind of this particular improvisation. And it overlaps into life and a kind of spontaneous present living, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've enjoyed going on talk shows and doing stuff that are a little bit like that and being myself. And as you know, I do these so-called shows where I <laughs> extemporize and talk to people and, you know, kind of blabber, yeah. you know, spontaneously. Yeah. So I said, hey, I, I think there's something in me that's as yet even undeveloped that I'd like to develop more. And maybe we could do that together in a thing like this. And maybe I could go out and be in the field and talk to people and have real, not cooked up. I don't want to do two takes of anything. I turn on the camera as I'm meeting them yeah. and I'm not going to pretend to know anything. I'm not going to be the teacher. Maybe I can enjoy talking to the camera and say, hey, I invite you to come with me as I am interested and learn about blah, 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 something or other. And maybe we could do it like that, right. not cook up anything. Yeah. And so we kind of followed. I mean, I, it's not all my idea, but anyway, they liked it. We collaborated. They said, hey, maybe here are the subjects. Maybe there's a subject for each little half hour thing. Yeah. And how would you feel about this, that, that? I went, oh, well, and I would sometimes record an hour or two of associations and, and my history with and feelings about and songs that I could think of that have to do with 
like what? or that. Like or what? Okay, yeah, yeah, ice cream. Ice cream. Or okay. denim yeah. in the first season yeah. or bicycles right. or pools yes. or jewelry or and cosmetics. Did, and did anything hold these topics together other than your interest? Pretty soon, pretty soon, they said, well, what, there might be a theme here. I think these are all things that people love. These are familiar things yeah. that a lot of people have a big feeling about yeah. and enjoy, but may be taking for granted. And maybe this science that we're known for and you as the learner about and revealer of this science could be an interesting part of that. And then your particular view of it, the world according to you, that's how this idea came about. Maybe it can be your, you know, particular tangential, left-turning, you know, unexpected, uh, 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 playful ways right. of encountering these people and these subjects that could give us what we want. And then we shoot it like that. Sarah Kinney, the wonderful cinematographer who you worked with, yeah. made it look good this yeah. last season. Yeah, That's yeah. How, uh, how that was different. And then the second season, to your second part of the question, yes. although I could say more about the first part of the question, because yes. I do want to say more about when we get to the voiceovers. I, you do voiceovers in many of your things, don't you? Or you've Sometimes. done that. I liked, I said, hey, I think I have, as I started to do it especially, I got into the recording booth, you know, and said, I like what you've done. You're very smart here, and I like what this yeah. is, but I sure don't want this to be conventional. I have just my own personal kind of aesthetic, <laughs> which is it gives me the heebie jeebies when I see, hello, here's another, ep you know, welcome to another episode here. I'll see you over at the thing, and we'll go over there. And then you hear me saying, well, there I was, the guy, guy, guy. And I, I just didn't want to do anything cooked up. Yeah. So I kind of wanted, I said, hey, I think I could, you know, think and talk at the same time and kind of, and, and if it doesn't work, you can cut around it. Anyway, that's what I do in the voiceovers. That, the second part of your question yeah. is, what was the difference between the second season? Well, you know, I liked the first season. I said, yes, let's do more of this. And you know who we involved in the second season? After the first season, as a result of the first season, I started to get actually more interested in all sorts of things and science particularly. I revisited Carl Sagan in yeah. his last book, yeah. The Demon Haunted World. And I think during that period, I had an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson on his show. Yeah. I, I love all that. And I'm uh, a little bit obsessed with these podcasts and YouTube things, shows about physics and the universe and yes. astronomy and this and that. During this period, I read that Yuval Harari series of books. You must have read Sapiens and Homo Deus and 21 Lessons. Way over my head. So uh, I doubt it. Uh, but you know who I like? I'll, and you know this guy, our friend, Kurt Anderson. Uh, well, now. Now we're in business. Well, I loved Fantasyland very, very much. I know you and, did. And so much of his work, and I've talked about it more. Anyway, I got in contact with him, yeah. and he helped collaborate on this one. And yes. when we chose the second season, we did it in his Brooklyn apartment, his home. Yes, well, that's good, because I've spent a lot of time in that house. And so if, if the second season is better than the first season, I will take all the credit. I having left a, kind of an aura in that in that brownstone. I thought I felt something. You, you felt a little, you I know, smelled something. You smelled yes. something. I yes. thought yes. I smelled something. Yes. Again, cheap. A little but, cheap. Yeah. A little cheap. But I'm thrilled to be part of your, any, any small well, part of your orbit, your constellation. Yeah. And Kurt Anderson is. So he enlarged, he, you know, we asked him to not only help us choose what might be interesting, but enlarge and give us larger ideas about and maybe a, a kind of interesting perspective. So let me, let me ask you this. About all these subjects. Your feature film list of credits is like as long as my arm. 
But so it's like a hundred and some odd credits, right? Plus television, like very long. By the standards of, you know, you're still a young man. But I've worked continually. Yes. How about that? Yes. For now it's almost 50 years. Thank goodness. Getting yeah. close to 50 years. Yeah. You know, you think of actors who have your degree of longevity, productivity, critical acclaim, box office success, you name all those people. The number that you would say, hey, let's give this guy a series and let him just go run around the world and kind of think about what he's curious about yeah. is not very high. And there are many great actors, great actors, right? Yes. So I guess my question is not kind of, well, what entitles you? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's not my question. My question is, what is it about you that it seems totally natural and that there's an audience for it? People want to know what Jeff Goldblum's take is on a bunch of shit. There's no one who looks at this and goes, well, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever watch The World According to Jeff Goldblum? You have many people like, oh, yes, well, that's going to be a unique perspective. That, again, many award-winning actors, actors have more awards than you. We would not give a shit about what their view of the world and ice cream is, and, and science and motorbikes and whatever. No one would care. This is the exact speech that the Wizard of Oz gives at the end of the movie. <laughs> They're casting that. We have actors with more awards than you, but they have one thing that you don't have, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> they have, et cetera, et cetera. But what is it about you? I mean, I'm not asking you to, be, to, to brag about yourself, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a uniqueness of perspective that people <laughs> are like, oh, that, that'd be interesting to hear. Like, he's going to have an interesting take on the world and these things, and I want to go on this trip with him. How did you inculcate that and cultivate that, and what do you think it is? Well, the answer is, first of all, there are people, I'm sure, who right now as we sit here are going, why would I want to know what Jeff Goldblum thinks? There are plenty of those people, but maybe there are enough of them to allow us to continue more. Yeah. If there aren't, that's okay. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do something else. But if there are, yeah. and well, one answer is that a lot of the credit goes to the way the first season worked, because I watch them. I watch these shows. Yeah. I watch the five in the second season, and I'm kind of delighted by them and by myself and uh, however they did it and how they put it together yeah. really and how they edited it and uh, then they include i'm kind of personal you know i i include my history with some of these subjects yeah. and so it, it winds up sometimes me telling stories and referring to my parents and upbringing in pittsburgh and i gave them around the time that it seemed like organically, I started to do that yeah. uh, and felt like doing that in the show. I said, you know what might be useful for you guys? I'm going to send you these two reels that I now have on DVD of all those silent home movies that my parents took in Pittsburgh in the 50s and 60s. You, you take all that. I always thought there was something maybe useful to do with some of that. I'd make a movie out of it or something like that. But I think this may be the best use of it. You take them. Who knows? As I'm telling these stories, maybe they'll come into play. And as a matter of fact, I have in my recent possession, a lot of photographs from my youth that I've gotten. I said, well, why don't you take all those two? Or I digitized them, I sent them to them. Anyway, they use them in a nice way. And so when I'm watching, not only am I delighted by the show, but I'm oftentimes uh, choked up and uh, I get a real kick out of it. So they do a good job. The yes. answer is yes. that they make it look like, oh, this is maybe the way Jeff Goldblum's brain is. And they do graphics for different episodes. And I sort of talked to them about that a little and gave them my two cents and said, hey, each episode should be a little different from the other one. It shouldn't be formulaic. It should be a little surprising. It might be whimsical and this and that. I have a strong aesthetic sense myself and my sister is a painter. If we do another season, I might suggest, and I've sent them a couple of things. She's now, if you look up the world, Tata Pam, 
my sister is Pam, you can see some of her animated paintings that she's doing right now. She's done many things. But anyway, so they try to make it look like me. And I said, what's the music going to be like, as a matter of fact? I like all the choices that they've made. So there's that. Then what your question really is, is, well, me, I don't know. I, I don't know because it's nothing that I've purposely, strategically tried to manipulate. No. I had a good teacher, Sandy Meisner, and he said, look, really, and this kind of relates to this show and my approach to it, and maybe why a little of it works a little bit, really put your attention on the other guy, whether it's the scene partner you're working with or the thing that you're really trying to do, get your attention off yourself. It's only natural that, you know, you want to be interesting and they've bought a ticket and they're there. And so you get self-conscious and, hey, I better look interesting. I better have something to do. But you want to have an antidote to that. Don't fall into that. The, the antidote to that is to actually have your interest not on yourself, but get interested in yeah. something. And as, as fact, you'll be interesting to the extent that you're interested in something outside, just like babies are and, and animals are. They're interesting because they're, they're actually free to get involved with that ball of string or the thing that the baby is interested in. So that, that's a healthy way of approaching things. And it's good for acting. It has something to do with my improvisation and my approach to this. I'm actually interested. And then be present pay attention. You're going to be spontaneous and authentic if you're actually in touch with what's going on right now around you, you know, really. And that will trigger something that surprises you and that is authentic. Mm. Well, that's part of a little bit of a blueprint for what you can do under text acting and and theatrical acting and made-up pretending. But it's also a little bit of a helpmate in what you can do in a situation like this. Do you think that you have, if you were going to, like, if we if we had an infinite amount of time, we could look at, and I, 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 we're gonna, I, I promised you that we're going to, we're going to do, we're doing a little bit of a career retrospective here. We are going to talk about some of your work beyond just the show. Whatever we're also going like. to talk about some, some of the music. We're going to talk about some things because there's a lot of questions. Whatever yeah, I like. feel like I've been peppering you with the questions for a while, not just in this room and other places, but there are many questions that are still on my mind. Good. And, and me and, with you, that's why it's fun exactly. to be with you because I'm interested in a million things many that, questions. that you know that I don't. But I do want to ask this question right at the top because I think, like, do you think you have a persona that when people look at you, they think a certain thing? And that th- that persona, I-, I don't want to say what I think it is, but I feel like you have, over the course of this time and all the things you've been involved in, part of the reason like, why there are a million Jeff Goldblum memes and there's all of this kind of currency that you have. I actually have a hard time putting my arms around exactly what it is, but you, you're not like, again, like many actors who are, you know, actors, great actors, mm. talented actors, right? Mm. You have done a lot of more things than that and people have a conception in their heads of you what do you think that is? Do you agree that you have a persona and that people think of you in a certain way? And if you had to describe it, what would it be? Well, I guess, yes, I would agree. But probably different people have different ideas. And, and one of the things that has allowed that to you know, blossom in one way or another to one eye or another, are, are the parts I've played, you know, I'm in some of these popular movies, and, you know, that's, uh, the, the Ian, Dr. Ian Malcolm is an interestingly drawn character from the Michael Crichton version of the Steven Spielberg movies, and da 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 and then, uh, so, yeah, it's followed along, and, and is, can't be extracted from, you, you know, those parts that I've played. Yeah. There's that, and, you know, it's all fleeting, as we know, and it's all liquid, it's all changing, and if I 
say something untoward, it could change in a second, yes, as we all yes, know. Yes. So all that's fleeting. People's because we're talking about people's idea of who in the heck you are, you know. But you know, like I say, from my point of view, all I can do is is not try to cook something up. You know, right. some people have advised me, you know, here and there, smart people, and go, oh, well, you know, you go on these shows. You know, you don't have to tell the truth. It's a performance. Yes. And so you tell a story. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm interested in that. And for a long time, just doing things like this, I was I, I was interested in it and tried to do it in different ways. But finally, and my current thinking, although I'm still developing, is uh, I don't want to perform like that. I just want to be honest. Now, I know the boundaries of, hey, I'm not going to tell something that I'll go, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have. I gave too much information about myself. You know, I know that there are areas like that that we don't want to, you know, betray. But within that, I want to be actually open and, and contributive. I do, you know, I'm here so that I can, yeah. I can leave the situation a little better than I found it. Yes. I mean, that's true. Yeah. I'm, not, I, I, I'm not pretending... I aspire to that. Yeah. And besides that, you know, I'm a late bloomer, so I am open to finding out more about myself. And certainly, I've gone around in many ways. There's a, a ton that I don't know. I mean, just yeah. those hundred books that you're supposed to have yeah. read before yeah. you leave or movies. So, so there's just plenty that I'm hungry for. And now having two kids, I got a six-year-old and four-year-old boy, yeah. and you should see them. And if nothing invigorates you or makes you, you know, see the world through open and receptive and sweet eyes, yeah. it's, you know, spending time around them. So you, you would you, know. you, you would acknowledge like quirky, right? Eccentric. Not maybe not. But those words have been quirky, used. Those, those I, I say them with all approvingly, of course. Quirky. I suppose so. Whatever, you, whatever you think. I mean, right. here, here I am with you. I don't know. Whatever, whatever well, you I think. But I'm not trying to cook I'm, anything up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> actually saying that. Like, I, yeah. I think it's just kind of a question of you know. This goes to like politics a little bit, right? The most successful politicians are the ones where their public face mm. is closest to their private face. If they're authentic, if they're being the way they are, that doesn't mean they don't have a persona. It's not cooking something. Barack Obama, part of his success was that. The private Barack Obama and the public Barack Obama, they were not 100% aligned because there were things that he kept withheld and there yes. were things that he, you know, but he wasn't bullshitting anybody. It wasn't like there was a vast gulf between the private and the public. And I think for a lot of very successful politicians that that closer the private and the public are to alignment, the more authentic they are and seem. Well, and authenticity know. is what people attach to. People so I think these you can, days, don't they, more than ever, so you I think know, you can, if you're full of baloney. You know? So I think you can have a public persona that doesn't mean you're cooking something up. Mm-hmm. It's not like a ah, you know, my public persona is like I'm really right. a shy and quiet, retiring in private, but in public I'm this gregarious blah blah blah. Right, it doesn't right. mean that. I think it just means that there's, for you at least, that some of the the things you just said it's a, it is I think the accumulation of all of this work over a long time and all these things yeah. you've done and many yeah. late night talk show appearances yeah. and all of that stuff. People have come away with the sense of that you're not the usual. Hollywood star, that there's more depth there, that there's some extrinsicity there, there's humor there, there's the nerd quality that, you know, that you play to it, but also glam nerd, hipster nerd, cool nerd, rebel nerd, whatever those things are. Well, that is the way a lot of people like, it works in it, you know, I think, yeah, you don't reject any of those notions, that right? sounds fine to me. <laughs> it all sounds fine to me. But you think there's some truth in all of that? That's, is that how you think of yourself? Yeah, I mean, you're to- you're some, holy- of the more, some of the more flattering, you know, have blown up variations, I don't know. But, but yeah. let me say this, that some actors are, because we, 
Yeah, this should be said. So, you know, some actors purposely go, hey, you know, I don't want to mess up my ability to put on a character yes. if they know too much about me. I think right. Daniel Day-Lewis says right. this or, you know, yes. it's a, you know, the less you know yes. about me, the better. And if I don't have a, a particular, you know, fanciful set personality, yes. I can be a little freer in my variety of characterizations. Yes. And maybe that's true. And I don't know if, how, how all this is going to impact. But so far... I'm enjoying the acting I've been doing. You know, I just did another Jurassic World. Well, I want to I'm don't talk about it. And I've done a couple other things, but I think I'm at the th- on the threshold of my better acting work. Too. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Well, I'm enjoying. No, no one I'm with enjoying no, one, it no one with a brain in their head would disagree with that because you're you're peaking. You're peaking. Uh, really? Yeah, I think so. Right now, right here in this room. Here's a nugget about me. I don't know if this is useful, but it's like a little <laughs> mantra that I sort of yeah. say yeah. D- sometimes daily or when I'm working to myself. Serendipity. Yeah. Synchronicity, mm. perceptual readiness, perceptual readiness. You know what that is. I like, do, yeah. hey, you know, I was just, I didn't know about that, what you just told me about. But now that I know about, oh, it's there and it's there and it's yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, free association, mm. stream of consciousness, yeah. phantasmagorical transmogrification. How do you remember all this? And then finally, and here's here's the key to improvisation or an, an interview, an interaction, yeah. a, a witnessed interaction. What you say and the way you say and what you do and the way you yeah. do makes yeah. me sad, mad, glad, curious, who, what, when, where, how, why, and especially open. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that. It's, it's that's obscure. a mantra. It's that's, obtuse. It's, it's obtuse. It's not but obtuse, you, but it's long. It's a long mantra. And it's also long. You know, yeah. if you learn your TM mantra, it's much shorter than that. And were you initiated I'm, into I'm, TM? I've not been initiated in anything, but I'm telling you, for people who have been those initiated mantras, into many things. I'm telling those mantras are, are much shorter. You can yes, say them they, under your breath very quickly. Yes, they don't they involve are. all those polyslabs. No, they don't. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Jeff Goldblum on Hell and High Water. All right, we are back. Jeff and I uh, are about to talk about the Jurassic Park franchise and how it helps shape his persona. And of course, we also talk about the upcoming Jurassic World Dominion. We kick off the conversation with a scene from 2018's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. This is Jeff's character, Dr. Ian Malcolm, speaking at a Senate hearing. I think that we should allow our magnificent, glorious dinosaurs to be taken out by the volcano. Silence, please. As deeply sad as that would be, we altered the course of natural history. This is a correction. Are you suggesting the Almighty is taking matters in his own hands? Senator, with all due respect, God's not part of the equation, no. What I mean is that in the last century, we amassed a landmark technological power and we've consistently proven ourselves incapable of handling that power. 80 years ago, who could have predicted nuclear proliferation? But then there it was. And now we've got genetic power. So how long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? And what's going to be done with it? It ain't going to stop with the de-extinction of the dinosaurs. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. I'm talking about man-made cataclysmic change. What kind of change? Change is like death. You don't know what it looks like until you're standing at the gates. You were the character who they wanted to cut originally. It's incredible that this character was about to be cut. Mm. Cut! Mm. Spielberg was like, get rid of this character. 
Yeah, that's what he told me. I don't. I, I'm just going by. You probably have heard the story that I've told, which is in that first meeting with him. He said, "Well, it's nice to meet you. We set this meeting up when." A draft of the script included you, but there's a faction now yeah. uh, amongst me and my pals who are going to, uh, you know, meld that into the Sam Neill character yeah. and there's no more you. And, uh, you know, then I went, Ooh, wait, 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 you know. And you talked Spielberg into keeping I you. I did not talk you into talked anything. Him into it. You talked him into it. You kept me. I bet you, were, you, you kept the Well, he did. Thank, you, thank goodness. Of, but do you think that's because of just the size of this franchise that this is the part you're best known for? One of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, one of them. I mean, this yeah. is like a landmark thing in your career, right? Yeah. It, a it, defining thing. It, I probably was, yeah. It has, it has been and is, and yeah. And is it still fun to make them? It was a blast yeah. to make all the ones I did, the first and second one with Mr. Spielberg, and then I had a little part in that last one that Colin Trevorrow wrote, and we were on the phone cooking up the details and, yeah. uh, of my little scene, and then he wrote and directed this one. And it was a blast. It was early on in COVID, so we did much that was yeah. uh, protocol-related. But it was fantastic. We were all, in fact, bubbled up in England near my family there. My family was there near Pinewood Studios, right. where they shot the Bond movies, all yeah. that stuff, and many other things. And it was great. Yeah. It was great. And because we were so bubbled up on weekends, we would get together and not only have fun in a protocol way, but to also go over next week scenes yeah. with Colin in a very focused yeah. way, and it was very collaborative. I want to play this scene from the first Jurassic Park, and I want to talk about it because I think it's relevant to why this is such an iconic part okay, for you, okay. and why it's so relevant today. This oh, is this scene, yes. one of the most famous scenes in the first movie. Yes, yes. Richard Attenborough. So on the kind of control you're attempting is, uh, it's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, oh, there it is. There it is. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Life finds a way. That's an iconic line. That's a fun line to be able to say. And uh, B.D. Wong, of course, was in that and who's in this, also in this next thing, and Laura Dern and Sam Neill, but also in this next one is Dewanda Wise. Yes. If you know her, and Deachin Lachman, and Daniela Pineda, and Justice Smith, and Omar Sy, Mamadou Ache. Yeah. So b besides Laura yeah. Dern and Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. But and this, Leo but this part, right? Partly mm -hmm. is iconic because obviously the movie was just huge, right? But like, I, as I think about like why this movie was, the movie was huge because it kind of touches on some pretty, pretty powerful things, right? you know, war between natural world and what and scientific manipulation and people's fears about what we're doing to the planet and people's fears about scientists with no ethics engineering things and those things getting out of control. And you are the voice of of like rational caution throughout this you're you're a scientist, mm. uh when a chaos theorist. Chaotician, yes, yes. But you're really like kind of the proxy for the audience that's kind of going like, is this right? Should these guys be doing this? Part of the reason why the character is resonant is because I think it, this is a metaphor for things that people see in the world that they're living in right now, which is like, we're fucking with things we shouldn't fuck with, we're not taking care of the planet, and we're headed towards some kind of doom. Possibly so. Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it seems relevant. Yes, and I've gotten myself interested in many of the things that that character gets to say and gets to say in this next one. Yeah, how it relates to all the issues that you mentioned and my interest in them and involvement with them. And, yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy. All those things are 
really interesting and uh, up to us to do something about it. I, I, I think that maybe part of the, the Goldblumian persona, as it were, seems like this is one of these parts that kind of is imprinted on a lot of people's minds because a lot of people saw these movies. Yeah. I yeah. know. Well, that's yeah. what I was kind of trying to get at. Yeah, you know, I mean, however, you know, people know me. It's a, a lot, you know, has to do with, uh, you know, getting a chance to play that part that a lot of people saw them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is why I find your life fascinating, because we also have the next Wes Anderson film. Well. Among many things you've worked on. Possibly. Life, but Asteroid City. I believe is now is now public and and uh, Fisher Stevens, who's in the movie, yes. gave a long interview about it. He did not disclosing by any plot points, but he said that it would be the greatest ensemble cast because much of the cast is now public through the trades. And I'm, I'm included in the in the cast. And you are included in the cast, yes, well, as, a, as a relatively relatively latecomer. And the cast is astonishing. Yeah, it's a lovely cast, as um, usual. I mean, but, but, it's, but it's very, this one's even big by Wes Anderson standards. And Fisher Stevens says it's like the greatest cast since, since Bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> the most, you know, extraordinary. I saw Bridge on the River Kwai when I was, first run, what, what year did it come out? I'm born in 52. So first run, my sister and I went to the Leona Theater in Pittsburgh and saw Bridge on the River Kwai. But here's my question. Yeah. I want to stick with this question. I know this is going to sound like a, a, a naive, amateurish question, but like, again, when I think about your life, just the, the diversity of Wes Anderson over here. You're working on a movie with Stephen Fry. These are highbrow entertainments. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the Jurassic yeah. thing. And then there's the reality show, what, yeah. if that's what we want to call the world going Jeff Goldblum. Right, right, it's right. a very diverse offering of what we have to look forward to in Goldblum world, Goldblum yeah. land, Goldblumlandia yeah. in 2022. How does one put oneself in a position where one has that kind of diversity? I know, that's lucky. And it's, how delighted are you to have it? Spectacularly delighted. I never take it for granted right now, particularly. And variety, which I, I was after early on. I was never strategic or careerist, particularly. Never tried to put myself in one position or another. But it's what I would have hoped for, you yeah. know, if I could have imagined something. Yeah, I, I love that idea. It's just very, very lucky. Isn't that great? But some of those even popular movies, you know, were directed by Steven Spielberg or Colin Trevorrow, who are very smart, high, sophisticated, high-minded yes. uh, oh, uh, people, I'm, I'm, as is Taika Waititi, yes, who did yes, that yes, yes, movie. Yes, yes. And he's, you know, a spectacularly artful and unusual and independent-minded and... Uh, and you got to wear an incredible costume in that movie, too. The creator, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, it must have been fun for you. Did you dress up as my character for Halloween? I did not, although I contemplated it. And I may next Halloween. I assume you'll be back in, in Thor Ragnarok. I can't say one way or another. Two, well, I can't say one way or another. Do you dress up for Halloween? You know what I did? In the first season, we did jewelry, and I still had... I, I like to be minimal, yes. so I don't take home yes. memorabilia and much stuff, but I did take home from the jewelry episode from season one these grills, these gold... I don't know that they were made of... They're gold-colored. Maybe they're gold. Grills, you know, that you put in your teeth, so you have gold teeth. <laughs> yes. I took that. Yes. Well, that was basically that's, my that's costume. Your costume yeah. I put that on, because all we did, I didn't go anyplace. We went with the kids yes. to a neighborhood where we could, you know, but she dressed as a beautiful witch of some kind. Yeah. And I, uh, I put that on and a hat and some glasses. Yeah. And then an interesting outfit. I don't know what I was with my own character. There's a lovely video, which I'm not going to play, of Mildred Snitzer. Oh, you know, woman. We will oh, talk more the about the actual her. woman, oh, the not actual the band. Woman, the actual woman, not the oh. man. There's the, we have the band, Jeff's band. The I know that interview. I know that the, one interview. There's like the only interview that exists. Been her. out there, yes. But she tells a story 
of, of your childhood and your, and your desire to, to get into this business, to become an actor. You've told many stories about your interest in music. Well, I want to talk about both of those things in a second. Okay. But she lays it all out. Yeah. She basically gives her husband's brother who she gives all the credit for. That's she right, says, I, I remember. It's all, it's all his doing. Yeah. Mickey Snitzer. She was married to Freddie Luden, yeah. and then he died, I believe, and then she married Mickey Snitzer, who took yes. me to a baseball game. Yes. I think he took me to my first Pittsburgh Pirates baseball yes. game. But, but yeah, and, and she, she said there was the, an she agent the, or the, something. The, she says the, her second husband's brother, right. when you didn't get into uh, Carnegie, to, to Mellon, Carnegie Mellon, yeah. that he basically said, kid, go to New York, get your feet wet, and then you'll find your way towards the business. And she's like, that's why he's so famous and successful now, well, which yeah. I think is very sweet. But why is this orchestra, your orchestra called the Mildred? Why her? Well, here's why what happened. Well, why I is the Mildred nice, Snitzer's Orchestra? I thought it was I never a nice name. It. She was always a lovely woman and yes. friends with my mom, Shirley, and would come over and was a kind of a naturalist. She would get it down on the floor. And, <laughs> you know, my mom could, could be bourgeois, you know, yeah. in her way, you know. But uh, although lively and... You know, playful. But Mildred Snitzer was sort of unadorned, as I remember, and would get down on the floor and did exercises every day. You know. Yeah. Anyway, she lived to be over a hundred. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a nice name. We were our band. We had for a few years. We were playing under the radar intentionally, one place or another. And then um, they asked us to be part of the Playboy Jazz Festival and play at the Hollywood Bowl, and said, "Well, we're going to put your name in the program. What's your what's your name of your band?" And so I thought of that okay. and said, right. you know, Mildred Snitzer, orchestra. we're not an orchestra, but Mildred Snitzer, you know, and that's stuck and that's who we are. Now she, when she tells this story, you know, she talks about, in the kind of, kind of classic old lady way, she kind of talks about, you know, well, you know, I'll know him now from Jurassic Park. And, you know, when he went out to Hollywood, he, you know, he had a part in Taxi Driver, and, or not Taxi Driver, now in Death Wish. Well, I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, right. and she had a part in Death Wish. Yeah, she sort of rattles off some names. Her, I'm not sure. Yeah. She's not, she's not trying to be. I know. She's, but she, she had the right things. Like, she mentioned you were in Nashville, which I didn't even know you were in, and you had a part, I believe, a, 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 a lineless part in, in Nashville, Rob Rollins Nashville. Lineless, but, yes. I, but I, 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 I again, do credit. I was like, I didn't even know. I was like, Mildred Snitzer was teaching me things as I listened to this. So, you know, I mentioned before, right? If you look at the body, you know, this incredible run of, of things that occurred, right? You know, Nashville. Yeah. It's somehow coinciding with Death Robert Wish, Altman. Death Wish, with Death Charles Bronson, an iconic film of the mid-70s. Isn't that something? Early 70s. You know, yeah. the corner cove, I just, my, my brain spins. Annie Hall, one, you know, the one line that people always remember in there, you know, that you've forgotten your mantra. People, all these parts are, are out there. I think that you first came to my consciousness in the big shell. Big show, 83. 83. Yeah. But the thing that really, and this is a movie I want to talk about, and I'm going to play a little bit of it, because it's the movie that, like, when I was a young man, I eventually ran the weekly arts and culture magazine at the Daily Northwestern. Where you I was an undergraduate. The arts and culture yes. Magazine. So from 1983 to 1987. And so this is, like, the sweet spot of this period. And before that, on my way to getting to that place, I was a film critic for the paper, for I the college newspaper, college newspaper. That's interesting. And I thought the the, the movie that changed, I don't know. I mean, there were a couple of movies that came out in 1986 that all blew my mind. One of them was Blue Velvet. Loved and, it. And, Loved I, David and, I, Lynch. and it was Loved like, I was like, <sighs> oh, yeah, yeah. Incredible. An yep. incredible, incredible film. I agree. And the other was The Fly. Mm. 86. Six. Yeah. I want to play the scene from The Fly because this movie, more than any other movie, made me... I, I don't know that there's a movie in my in that period where I was first starting to understand movies yeah. that I thought was more incredible than The Fly. And I want to talk to you about it because we've never talked about it. Let's talk. I'm certain. This is, the, this is a later stage in the movie, but this yeah. scene, 
I mean, I don't know. It was heartbreaking. Watch yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion. No compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. Saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. It's an incredible movie. An incredible, like I David first of all, the, just, the, David Cronenberg is a genius. Yeah, obviously. I agree. Yeah, lovely fella too. Just tell me the story of how you ended up in this movie, because to me, part of the thing about this film that was, and I remember being a huge Cronenberg fan in general, but this movie came out right when really the AIDS crisis was starting. And I remember people who were very twigged to the notion that this movie was a transposition of a famous 50s sci-fi movie with Vincent Price, but that he was reimagining it for the age of AIDS and 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 for the age of now we live in this age of pandemics too, where it was, it was about a big metaphor for disease and what disease does to people. Yeah. How did you end up in this movie? And did you recognize its brilliance when you were in it? It's um, still a movie that's kind of, sh I think for people, if they watched it now, they're kind of, sh it's sort of shockingly, it's hard to watch for a lot of people, right? But an incredible piece of art. I think so too. Well, it's collaborative, of course. David Cronenberg, uh, very brilliant, smart guy from Toronto and um, wonderful artist. And he wrote that script, you know. That's a beautifully, gee, that, isn't that a beautifully poetical? It's and, incredible. Yeah, it's really, it's really lovely. And Gina Davis, of course, is wonderful in it. And Chris Wallis won the Oscar for that makeup. So, you know, he was very thoughtful about that. He, yeah. We went over to his place and we tried everything on. He had the, the stages of the thing. And at that stage, I think I was five hours in the makeup chair. And so it was very careful and beautiful. The music does something to me in that, Howard Shore. But so here, here's what happened at the beginning. I, they just sent me the script, as I remember. And I remember when I read it, I was like, mm, boy, oh boy, oh boy, that's delicious. That's really... That would be some part. I'd like to do that. And uh, I had a special affection for Vincent Price movies, too, and for remembering uh, the other, because my sister and I went around that period, saw, you know, Diary of a Madman and Tomb of Lygia and all that stuff. So I, I liked that kind of thing, but this was something very different. And then I think I met with him, David Cronenberg, and, you know, said how passionate I might be about this and yeah. all that. And there we, there we went. But you, at this point, I mean, you've been in, obviously, a bunch of great movies. I mentioned a bunch of them, like great kind of transcendent yeah. films. I worked with Philip Kaufman and in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And, and in The Right Stuff. And The Right Stuff, yeah. But you yeah. hadn't really had a lead in a film at this pitched at this level. I mean, this was a movie that I, when I, I remember. It was a movie, of course, we would, back in those days, would never have gotten an Academy Award nomination as Best Picture because it was too kind of avant-garde yeah, yeah. and to genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, a, this is kind of a big moment for your career, no? I think a, so. Looking back, you know, how do you know? How do you ever assess that? And like I say, my focus was always on my activity, you know, instead of the career. But yeah, I think looking back now, yeah, no, I think that was, uh, 
That was good. Good for me. I just think it's a movie that stood the test of time in a way that kind of is a sort of stunningly good. And I guess my question is really how much time he spent talking about what it was about. Was that a discussion or was that just all of Cronenberg's head and you had these lines to read and you were kind of playing it straight? We talked a lot. It was very collaborative and I kind of started to get more self-trustful during that period and find myself, you know, and my sea legs because I did have a lot of convictions and passions about elements of that thing and the story as it was kind of in a few different places evolving and I you know, had a strong feeling about it. And we, he was lovely and collaborative and yeah. a great teacher and a good collaborator. But no, about that, if I were to work with him now and do the same thing, I bet I would have asked that question because I've done that since. And I, I like to know things like that. It might help, you know, it always occurs to me. So if there's anything in his mind about where it comes from or his yeah. dreams or his social concerns yeah. or his medical sensibility or anything like that, it's, you know, it would have been very helpful. But no, as I remember, I don't think we, we talked about that much. Let me see that phone. phone. I'll show you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wes Anderson, yes, yeah. last movie had, um, I'm, get, I'm going through some movies right now. He, he, he does it on all his movies. On Grand Budapest Hotel, there were like 20 movies, a couple of dozen movies that he would say, here, here are the movies that inspired me for this and have something to do with this. And likewise, on a movie that I may or may not be in, he, there's this. So I'm watching all these. I'd never seen yeah. it happen one night, which a lot of people have seen. 20th century, I have never seen which I should see. Heat, yeah. Lightning, I don't know. Petrified Forest, you know Humphrey Bogart's first movie? Yeah. I've got it now. This, you know, is, never, this is Wes Anderson's like, you should see this movie in order to do this next movie. Yeah, yeah. A Thunder Rock, Leave Her to Heaven, Desert see, these, Fury. These are, these, these are deep cuts. Deep cuts. Ace in the Hole Street, her name is our Captive City, Niagara. I just saw with Marilyn Monroe. You ever see that? No. It's really interesting. And from here to eternity, of course, in front of rear window. Bad Day at Black Rock. You ever see that? Spencer Tracy. I never have, but I'm going to see it now. Foxfire, Bottom of the Bottle, Kiss Before Dying, 12 Angry Men, The River's Edge. Some came running which is Vincent Minnelli directed Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, Vertigo, The Misfits, Lonely or the Brave. I'm watching right now Kiss Me Stupid. It's a Billy Wilder movie. Oh, my God. With Dean Martin yeah. and Ray Walston and Kim Novak. You know, How- interesting uh, things. But I like movies, and there's so much to catch up on. Yes. And, you know, the problem is right now, this is the problem. There's too much. I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's exactly what it is. I guess the universe is expanding. Well, I guess but <laughs> so it's, it's but, our but, choice. But peak television is kind of a problem. It's like there's just mm-hmm. too much out there to watch. Right. You think about all these old things that are on Wes's list of movies that yeah. you should see. Yeah. And you think about all the new things that are coming out that people tell you are great, and some yes. of which actually are great. Uh, and, know. and, you know, I can rattle off right now, even just, you know, this week, I like, I have six or seven movies that I'm, like, desperate to see in the next few days. I don't have enough time. To, you know, where's, where does one find the time? I know. The universe may be expanding, but we are not. Yes. Perhaps you are. I'm it's possible that you are somehow. Oh, have, you cloned, have, you clo- uh, have you cloned yourself? No, there, is there another Jeff Goldblum and I've out a, there? And six-year-old and four-year-old boys. Yes. The, the, you know, you don't want to skimp on time with them. So here's what I want to ask you is this question. You know, we could talk about Independence Day. We can talk about all of the Wes Anderson films. I mean, Isle of Dogs. You know, my heart. My heart. Such you a like great... Such, you oh, like I, loved, I love dogs. What, did love you see dogs. our episode on dogs? In yeah, the of, course, of course I saw it. So, yes, I've seen yeah, that. Yes. Yeah, I love dogs too. So you, you know, saw our dog, Woody, in that episode. Yeah, yes, and I've seen Woody on, on in other places, including on the socials. You know, I love uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. I love all of your work with Wes. Well, it's all he's, he's very, very brilliant and enjoyable. You've got... You should talk to him. And then there's the whole television 
thing. I mean, there's like parts on like Laverne and Shirley and Columbo and, you know, like these old... The Blue Knight. I did oh an episode my God. of The Blue Knight. Dear God, man. The things you've been in. Yeah, and Starsky just, and Hutch. Yeah. Starsky and Hutch. Yes. I watched that. I mean, yes. I, again, we could play this. This would be a seven-part Goldblum episode. No. We just would do Goldblum, Goldblum, Goldblum. No. Uh, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. We'd just do that. But here's the things that I had forgotten about. Yeah. I want to say two things because yeah. these are not actually, they're different. First of all, I want to play the Mac, one of these Mac ads. Because oh. there was a period of time where you were like the voice of Apple. Yes, I This, I, well, this I, Mac ad for yeah. the original iMac back in yeah. 98, 1998. Yeah. I believe. Let's play this. Again, I forgot about, I forgot you did this, but you were ubiquitous. Yeah. So, you know, it seems like there's a big party going on these days. Everybody said, what's your email address? What's your email address? Hey, everybody, I'll email you. I, I don't have an email. What's this? You know, like that. And you feel left out. You've been confused. It's too expensive or something. Well, now good news. There's a computer so easy. Ten minutes out of the box. You're onto the internet. You're emailing everybody. You're part of the party. It's as easy as, as uh, you know, licking a stamp. Feels like it's a million years ago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> certainly does. A million years ago. Well, that thing is that the iMac. That's called the, the, the original have, iMac. They get for that. They along gave you with, gave you fifty of them. Well, they gave me one of them. I took yeah. one of them, yeah. and I have it in my backyard next to the barbecue right now. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have it. Does it work as a computer, or do you put, do you like put barbecue sauce in there? Or something? No, I don't do anything. It's you know, it just it's, sits there. It sits there, but it's, I kept it. It's one of the things I kept. I told you I didn't keep many things, and that one, Steve Jobs called me at my house. Yes, believe it or not. Yes, and said, "Hey, you know, would you?" Well, you know, how, how, how can we get you to do this? And then Lee Clow, for those who know, at Shiat Day, yeah, you know, came over to my house and said, "Here's what I think we, we can do." Insane, insane surfer genius. Yeah, yeah. Uh, down in Venice here as the founder with, with Jay Shiat of Shiat Day. And a genius, a genius creative uh, and hippie. Uh, and you know, uh, even yeah. that's right. And back in those days, he said, here's what I think we could do. And I said, you know, I think I could do something for you that might make this a little special. I said, you know, I can read the thing. But on the day, I don't want to break my arm, pat myself on the back. But I did have a kind of a, yeah. an appetite for this. And I said, I think this may please all of us. Turn on the thing, 30 seconds. I'll do it in 30. When I see the clock winding down, I'll stop talking. But tell me what you want it to be about a little bit. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And this idea, you really want that yeah. word or that idea. Okay, let me kind of improvise. And I did. And that's how that came about. And these days, I started to take oh, yeah. these notepads. And what I do, I, I, I learned a little bit about the, the guest. If I were yeah. doing your spot, yeah. like I did in, in my show, yeah. I'd learn a little bit about Jeff and what I needed to know. Yeah. But not that too much. much more. Yeah. Not too much. Yeah. And then on the day, on the, in the car, I wake up after a dream at night. I do this, yeah. and that because I think this is kind of handsome, and I think it's you can man use it on. Man holds up very tiny, like a little miniature. You're a very large man with a little tiny notebook. Right. And right? That's, can, what is that? that? And, and, you, can, and like, you can use it on camera. And sometimes in the shows, you'll see me going. So, but so, guy, 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 But I actually do it on can, the can day. I just, can I say that book, uh, on the day, I get up after a dream, and I go in the morning. I'm kind of fresh, and I go, "What interests me today? What actually interests me today?" And I look at what I'm going to do that day, and I go. Hey, I know. Here's a song that kind of interests me, and here, here are the things that interest me. And then it goes the way it goes. But I kind of go, what am I actually interested in today? Which may be different than what I was interested in yesterday. You know? Anyway, it's it's not groundbreaking, and it's nothing. But because just because I, I we like each other, I just... Uh, feel like these telling are, you these are, telling these, you these things that are of no interest to anybody probably but they're, they're, I like is, that little thing it's utterly I should say utterly incoherent right well you can't read my dad was a doctor you know and so I write in a way that 
I'm not trying to keep keep it like the Rosetta Stone so that you can't indecipherable whole, is what you want to say. There's a bunch of movies here. Let's what is this list? Oh, Kill the, Bill. Oh yeah. Skyfall, Casino Royale, Goldfinger, yeah. From Russia with Love. I'm not sure why Kill Bill is on this list. Yes. I'm reading Bond movies. Yes. Um, uh, things I cannot read. I know what French this is. Connection, Apocalypse Now. Right. That's right. Lawrence of Arabia. That's right. Isle of Rats. Isle of Isle Cats. Of dogs. That says Isle of Cats. I think that says Isle of Cats. No. It doesn't look like dogs. Isle of dogs. D O G S. Isle of Dogs. Yeah. Like what is this a list? For I'll consistent? tell you exactly. I'll tell you exactly. Oh my God, that was a so list, many... and I used this actually on a in an interview recently. It was for Stephen Colbert, and he I knew he was going to ask this question. He does these fifteen questionnaire thing, and he says, "What's the best action movie?" Uh -huh. And I went on. I googled what are considered action movies, and that inspired my own list. Anyway. I said, I can't name one. Here are a bunch of them that I, I'm thinking of currently. There is a little notation here that says sexiest over 60. I think that might be a reference to yourself. He's, a self -reference, self -reference. oh, James Corden. Uh, James Corden. Yeah. That was wow. from a pre-interview. I don't really understand how you can possibly keep, I mean, first of all, these are chicken scratches, and second of all, this is the mm. tiniest little thing. Yeah. How do you well, use that little thing? Well, it's tiny because if you have to have it on your person, yeah. if you had to have something right there with you, I see you Is there got, a reason why you wouldn't just put it in your phone? I could put it in my phone. And <laughs> I, I use those that's notes. You look so dyspeptic when I suggested something. Like that. I have the look on your face like you're about to, like you're about to puke. Dyspeptic. Oh, that's so a good idea. I, I know it seems very kind of trite. I don't think it does. It's not picture. It's not camera ready. No. I, don't, I don't want to be whipping out the seen phone. Yeah. whipping out the phone. Yeah, I no. will. I could if I you showed could, you a no, picture. But that's, that's I could a show bit you a picture more. of my kids and this no, and that. No, that's a bit more. But yeah. I kind of like this. I kind of like it's this. A very, this is the Wes Anderson in you right here. That's, That's right. like a very Wes Anderson prop. Well, you should see his this boy. This thing, right? He, he knows how to put together. Uh, on that last movie, French Dispatch, he's going to take the, uh, you know, Adam Stockhausen sets, I think, and artifacts and display them in a, in a kind of a formal but, setting. But I do, I do want to ask you this question about the Jobs yeah. thing. Very quickly, two things. Yeah. One about this, about, about the Apple. One. Is it true that when Steve Jobs called you, you didn't believe it was Steve Jobs, or you didn't think it was Steve Jobs, or you didn't recognize Steve Jobs, you were just like, who the hell is this person calling me? Well, I'm always behind the curve, it's, and I was kind of, I don't know what year that was. Who is this weirdo talking to me about doing a, uh, a, a computer commercial? I, I, no, I knew that he was the head of this company yeah. that put these things out, but I didn't know Steve and, Jobs, Steve Jobs. And more know. importantly, is it true that he wanted you to be like really a bigger voice, that, that like to be like the voice of Apple at one point, that there was some discussion about you doing even more for the company. Not that I know of. No? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Is that what somebody said? Well, I think you may have said that in the past at some point. No. Well, I, I, maybe I was describing in my yes, uh, yes. usual yes, it's, it's uh, a hyperbolic shame, sometimes. shamefully overinflated way, yes. over self-inflated way. I probably was trying to describe, yeah, he said, these are the commercials that are going to introduce this product and I want you to or something like that. Maybe that's what I meant. Let me ask you one last question about your television career. Okay. Um, Would you like a cough drop? No, I'm okay. Thank okay. you very much. Very kind of you to ask. But you <laughs> Do you mind if I indulge? I don't mind at all. <laughs> That's a line of dialogue from a play. What is it? He offers her a stick of gum. Would you like a, a, a Wrigley's gum? Uh, would you mind if I indulge? He says, and you'd be right for this part, the gentleman caller in Glass Menagerie. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. because you're a person going yeah. places. Yeah. You're yeah. a person, he'd say, yes, uh, you know, I hope you don't yes. think I'm yes. too full of myself, but zing, bang, zing, I'm going there and I'm going there. I'm getting with that television thing. Yeah. That's the ne next big thing in America. 
You could do that part. I could do that part. I, I actually you. think I'm going to, if I can find a playhouse somewhere that's putting on that play, I'm going to go audition. <laughs> this is this is it. And that's what I recommend for your next Halloween costume. Well, ah. The Gentleman Caller. The Gentleman Caller. Very few will will know. It's not like yes. Spider-Man. No, it's very uh, very subtle costume. Yeah, it means I wouldn't have to dress up, which suit. is my preference for Halloween. We'll be right back with more Jeff Goldblum after the break. And we're back. Be sure to stick around at the very end of the episode to hear Jeff tinkle the ivories for us. Here's Certainly my question. My television, my television career question. Is there anything that's been greater in your television career than appearing on The Simpsons? On The Simpsons? Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say this show. Um, because no. this is it. Yeah, this is a uh, pinnacle. This the is Simpsons it. was fantastic. Yeah. Wasn't it? Oh, you're watching? Mac, you got to get me that part. I will, but you got to do something for me. Problem is, the big parts these days are all going to family men. But I already got married. Yeah, but for a role like this, you got to pour it on. You and uh, a wife have got to have a baby. A baby, eh? What do I do? I'll send you over a pamphlet. Uh, listen, you can't buy that kind of PR, but you can get it for nothing by having a baby, which, by the way, your insurance will cover except for the deductible, which I'll reimburse you for if you get the part, which you will if you have a baby. Say Troy Bien. Okay, now listen, uh, let's talk baby names. You can't use Montana, Dakota, or Florida. They're taken. Uh, Oregon? Oh, Pacific Northwest, very hot. I like the soul patch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have, have you ever had a soul patch? Oh, yeah, I've tried all manner yeah. of uh, things. Have you? Haven't you? I tried a soul patch. I'll tell you the problem. Yeah. I'm not like a Frank Zappa yeah. or somebody, you know, who has a very nice, yeah. uh, I don't know what color. I have nothing. I have nothing. There's my lower lip and then there's this. So there's nothing. I wouldn't, nothing I wouldn't say you're wholly unlike Frank Zappa. There are some things about you that are rather Zappa-esque. Hey, say, thank you. To be honest with you. Susie Cream Cheese. Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. And your children have a sort of a moon unit moon kind unit. of quality to them, you know? Charlie Ocean. Charlie Ocean. River Joe. River Joe. There we go. Like Kind of like moon units. Moon unit. Yes, you could make a song about that, couldn't you? Moon unit. Right here on the right here on the spot. Oh, you're a good singer. I'm not. I mean, what, what song would you? Ha hey, is there a theme song for this hell and high water? Hey, by the way, did you see that movie Hell or High Water? I did see that movie. Hey, yes, that's I a did. nice movie. I, I like did. that. That's movie. a great. It's a very good movie. It's a very fine what, movie. What's your theme song? Well, it's just that we have some some instrumental a little instrumental theme. Is it anything that known or it was, or? It was made for us? Oh, it was? By, by one of the members of, of a group called Wu-Tang Clan. All right. RZA, you know the RZA? RZA. Yeah, hip-hop, not really your thing, right? That's you know, I, I sang with um, with Bismarcky. Well, you did, and now that you raise it. Let's go to the clip. Let's, 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 let's <laughs> I mean, since, since, since you mention it, let's No, be, you don't have I that. I just asked this question. Of course we do, but let me ask you this question. Is there anything, any greater highlight than being on The Simpsons? Is there any, like, moment in your television career that means more to you than that? Yeah, I mean, come on. The Simpsons, well, and there's Bismarck King Fontaine. Um, yeah, no, the, um, well, it's my other serious theory. Yeah. Not so, not so serious, yeah. but uh, th that you can't be good as an actor. Here's how to pick things. Yeah. You can't be good unless the movie's good. You can't be good unless the, the director and the writing is good, right? Yes. I don't think so. And likewise, they will make you look good. You need somebody to make you look good. So if you're on The Simpsons, they'll know how to use you yes. and write for you and yes. turn it into something. Uh, go ahead. I, th I think about, you know, I want to try to bring the, you know, in the limited time we have now. Yes. We think about the, we think about the oeuvre. 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 Yes. We, do you speak French? No. Not at all. Uh, Your accent was so good on oeuvre. Omelette du fromage. 
Uh, the man of cheese. Yes. I'm the man of cheese. I, I think that's. I think it's omelette. It's a cheese omelette. Oh, that's, omelet. that's a Steve Martin bit from back then. Omelette, oh. omelette du fromage. And that's the only, <laughs> the only French. I you know, my wife speaks French. She's yes, from Toronto. I'm, yes, I'm, oh, I'm aware. Are you aware? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, boy, they. She speaks French to those kids all the time. Yeah. And they understand like yeah. everything she says. I do not. Yes, of course not. Do you speak any language besides English? Uh, un petit peu. Mm. Uh, not really. No, 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 I can't say. No, yeah, you don't speak you, Spanish. You, well, uh, you know, a little. I know, a, a little. little. Yeah. Do you speak anything? No, no. I had four years of Latin in high school, which was great for the SATs and bad for like speaking any like non-dead language any place in the world. My mother, Shirley Goldblum, had a very strong feeling yeah. when the school, kind of a mediocre school, sorry, um, said, oh no, they must take Latin. She was like, no, yeah. no, it's dead. There's no reason to she do was it. Right. He's not taking Latin. He's going to take right. either typing or French. I'll, if you have French, I'll tell you though, if you had taken the Latin, you would have done better on the SATs, and you would have gotten into Carnegie Mellon. Well, Carnegie Mellon, they didn't choose you because of your SAT scores. I, I, I did a was, bad audition for them, and that's I was why sort of, I wasn't I was chosen. Sort of, I was sort of joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know how I did in the SATs. But yeah, you, you know, yeah. but I made good grades all so through. They these say schools. that no. they say that the Latin. Should give you a grounding so that you can then learn Italian or Spanish or she you know like all of the wrong. Romance language. Well, she, no, she was right because they told me that, to. and I don't speak Spanish oh, well. or Italian or French or anything. Yeah, else. but for those so who like, know, I'll bet Stephen yeah. Fry, I'll bet would say, learn Latin yes, well, if you're interested in language yeah. and you know the roots of all language. But what, yes. is, what does Stephen Fry know about language in the end? Uh, <laughs> everything, everything there is. Uh, I asked this question because I want to get to the music. Okay. If you think about all you've done in film and television. Yes. And you say you're still peaking now. Like, what's left to do? What are the challenges you haven't taken on as an actor? As an actor. Not as a musician, because we can talk about that separately a bit. Yeah. But, like, what, what have you not done? Because you're peaking, but unless you have figured out some secret to immortality, you know, like, we're on the back nine here. You're telling me. So, back, this so, may be the... We know I mean, we don't know. I don't know what I, I wouldn't ask you to say what hole we, you're on, but you're on the clubhouse already, enjoying our enjoying our adult beverage. Yeah, there may be not another not another hole to play. You're having a your adult beverage, and I'm microdosing, and we're happy. We are off. We're off. We now we're in the clubhouse. Anybody younger than us thinks that we're not only in the clubhouse, but we've actually been taken to a home at this point. So, but but you're still out there doing the work. What's left I've to been, get done I've in been the very busy? There's a finite amount of time that you have left. Yes, sir. We all have left. For finite all, amount that's of that's correct. Yeah. But what's left to do creatively? You're like, this is what I haven't done that I think I really want to do. Here's the answer to it. If I can marshal my thoughts, mm. the answer is too 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 much to mention. Yeah. Too, you know, obviously a million things. The other thing is, well, it could yes, because of where we're at. If at all, you know, if I didn't get a chance to do anything else, and here's the other thing, you, you know, the one credo says you should the, the right posture, the talented posture is to always go. If nothing else were to happen besides this, yeah. I'd be entirely satisfied. Yes. So those are the two seemingly paradoxical or contradictory answers to the same thing. A million things. My appetite is as keen as ever, keener, and my forces are with me, but. You know, uh, who knows? When I look but if at, I didn't do anything, I'd be fine too. When I look at the IMDb page, there's yeah. something on the internet that yeah. has a listing of things you've done. Yes, sir. There's, as I said, a list of acting credits as long as my arm. Yeah. But many things I go back and I go, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but, but, I don't, but I'm not eager done, to see them. But you've you know? done a lot of acting, right? You've done a lot of, of personal appearances. You've been involved in a lot of things. But the, the, the one line 
that's rather bereft uh -oh. is the directing line. Oh, I see. Which many actors are very keen to do. At some point, they decide they want to direct. Many actors, that's an aspiration. And you, I believe, have like maybe one directing credit. That's, that's right. Next to like 139 acting credits, producing credits, writing credits, you know, music credits, Emmy Award nominations, Academy Award nominations, all this shit. But directing, only one. I, and I'm not saying you should want to direct, but I'm curious whether you do. Here's the answer. Because I, I'm kind of a, a um, craft nerd or, you know, you know, whatever you say, which is that I kind of really wanted to find out everything. Hey, I was early on, I was like, there's something I don't know. I don't want to not know something. I want to know about how you do, do this thing as well as possible. And so I taught for a couple of decades whenever I wasn't yeah. working in order to not only be involved with people and help people, and that was really fun, but to kind of know from the inside out what it was I was trying to yeah. do and how this one particular technique that I liked worked in all its detail. As a result of that, I directed this one short called Little Surprises and because I wanted to improvise with certain students that I wanted to work with and we wanted to make something and turn that into a script. But then we had to, and Showtime said, okay, we'll give you money to do it, to direct this thing, but you have to have a couple of known actors. And so, you know, we got Rod Steiger mm. and Julie Harris yeah. and Kelly Preston. And uh, we made this thing and it got nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. But it's not because I really wanted to be a director or, right. or had a real hankering to have a career as a director, which I didn't and don't. Okay. And still don't. Uh, I did not. You were doing enough things. Not really. You were doing enough things. Here's something you did have a hankering to do. Yeah. You've been a musician for a long time. So Almost from the time you wanted to be an actor, right? Yeah. Like as a kid. Around the same time. Yeah. Maybe it's not coincidental yeah. that these seeds got planted yeah. and started yeah. to... Do something around the same time. Right when I was ten, I started to play piano, and my teacher, my piano teacher, I was okay with the lessons. Yeah. I'm playing with Charlie now. He's taking lessons, oh and I sit. This morning, I sat with him. I sit every morning after breakfast. He's disciplined like I am, and we go to the piano. He knows we have to do it, and before he goes to school, we sit at the piano. I sit on the bench with him, yeah. and he runs through his new piece, yeah. which he's putting together, and then. All his old pieces, which are now, you know, 20 songs or something, and yeah. we run through them. Yeah. I tell you, this morning he played better than ever. He played better than ever. And right. I said, oh, that was good. I'd been kind of, it's a, it's a tricky and very beautiful, fun thing to do to go, I don't want to push him, but yeah. I want yeah. to push him. see if I can, well, see what yeah, you can yeah. do to yeah. interest him and to further, you know, his effectiveness. And so something started to work today. It was really fun. In the same way, I do that still. I played better today myself. I played already today than I have in some ways. But I learned that later. Early on, my point is, when I was taking lessons, I was kind of not a good student. And I would hope that the teacher didn't make his way there the next week because I hadn't practiced. But when he gave me around 10 or 11 or 12, a jazz song to play, Alley Cat it was, and this syncopation came to me. There was something I loved about that. Yeah fell in love with it and I was like I'm going to sit here and play until I know how to do that and that's when I started to get a little better and a couple of years into that I learned how to improvise and I wanted to get jobs in cocktail lounges just for the fun of it just for the crazy and kind of illogical yeah. fun of it but not because I wanted it as a career yes around that same time I said I want to be an actor yes my parent my dad said if you find something you love to do and I loved this thing, I this experience I had with it, so I decided I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Those were two parallel tracks yes. that were a, always a little different in the same way they're still different. I do this kind of for fun, and it's blossomed into a couple of albums and a, a lot of fun places and gigs and, you know. Here's the actual the clip I really want to play. Yeah. 
is the clip where you made an appearance on a television show in Britain with uh, Gregory Porter. You were on that show. What's yes. the name of the show? Graham Norton Show. You were on the Graham Norton Show. Yes. You're on the same yeah. show yeah. as Mr. Porter. Yes. And you played. Yeah. Then somebody follows you home, basically, and offers you a record deal. So I'll tell you exactly. This is, my, this is why I want to play this. Okay, you know, yeah. Let's do it. Just a cold and lonely, lovely work of art. I mean, come on. Look at that. Now, uh, uh, look at a uh, handsome devil here. Uh, that's 2017. Okay. 2017, really? And I will just say yeah. that in 2018, the first yeah. Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, Jeff yeah. Goldblum album comes out. Yeah. The one that goes to number one yeah. on the US jazz charts. Yeah. <laughs> just to say. Yeah. And then in 2019, the next yeah. Jeff Goldblum Mildred Snitzer Orchestra album comes out. So that, I just yeah. tell this story because you you list as a love, but an avocation, an yeah. avocation. I'm not sure if they say a or a. I, I, I took four years of Latin. I don't know, I, but I an a or avocation, not yeah. a vocation, not a job, not a professional thing. You're yeah. fucking around. You're playing. All of a sudden, you hop on this guy's set. You weren't invited to play, but you saw the guy. You go oh, hopped in. You were supposed to be on this show. No, no, jumped I in. No, I didn't hop in exactly. No, whatever it happened. Yeah. But some guy follows you home. Didn't exactly follow you home, but I'll but tell you. But comes out here, yeah, and you got a record deal, and now you're off to the races. This is like mind blowing. I know. I, no, I, I, yes, it is. You tell I the whole story, I, but I just it blows my mind. Totally, it does me too. Totally unheard of. Here's what happened. I was going to be on Graham Norton to promote something or other, and they said, "Hey, the other musical guest is Gregory Porter." Yeah, and he's asked whether uh, I know you're on in a couple of days, but he's promoting this album, this uh, Nat King Cole album. He's singing. He wants to sing. Uh, Mona Lisa, you want to play with him? He does it with a piano. Yeah. He'll play, he'll do it with you if you, you want. Okay, send me the chart, send me his key. I kind of worked it out a little bit and then did it like well, that. Let me just say, that's what I just said, you sort of jumped in, that's yeah. what I meant. Exactly, right. you were right. You that's... were like, you're not part of the guy's band. It wasn't like a planned thing. No, you no, didn't no. come to London with him to perform. No. It was this guy's spontaneous Nor thing. Nor did I practice or right. work it out. Right. And we actually, I, I met him backstage yeah. in the, you know how those places are, yeah. in the green room. Yeah. And they had a little keyboard, a little electric keyboard. And I, we said, let's go through it once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Let's let's do that. Something yeah. like that, and then just uh, did that. Magic. Yeah, it was fun. Well, he's you know he made it look good because he's spectacularly brilliant. But he's not the guy that got the record deal out of that. Well, movie. he has record deals. I'm he, aware of that. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. So his company, Decca Records, they said you know we saw you on the show, and maybe you want to do a an album. And then he came. We talked about it, and then we came up with an album. And you had no intention of doing an album. Not really. It's not really People on your had mind. said before, hey, maybe you want to do something. And I was like, mm, you know. So that's like the moment. Before. That's the moment when it happened. 
Yeah. Well, whatever it is. Yeah, we made a couple of uh, albums. But yeah, I know it's very lucky. It's unbelievably lucky. I mean, and people who are real musicians and devoted their lives to it and strategize in order to get some kind of, you know, recording opportunity. It's a it's I didn't do that. And it's very, very lucky. But the same thing happened in acting. I went to New York and before I even I never waited tables or anything like that. I kind of fell into the first couple of jobs and it kind of one thing transpired after that but dude your first jazz album went to number one on the US jazz charts I mean I'm sorry in terms of precocity precociousness the music career is actually ahead of the acting career because you know you had a bunch of movies before you had anything. Yes. Number one record, yes, your first yes. record. Yes, that's that's. How much did that? Right. I mean, that must have been astonishing to you. It was astonishing and and, and astonishing. Ex- exciting and satisfying exciting, and gratifying. Satisfying, uh, gratifying, uh, all, all that. And then all we did that. another one, but even more gratifying. That's nice. And sometimes I go places and I'll hear it on the radio. Yeah. They'll play play things on the radio. But the people I play with, it's humbling. You know, you can't get too thrilled with yourself because really, what you can do is what you can do, and that's how I play. And and each week I'm learning something, and each day I'm using it as a kind of daily meditation study program that is very nourishing. The first album is called The Capital Sessions. Yeah. The second album, though, yeah. you have like Sharon Van Etten and, and Fiona Apple and, and Fiona these incredible... And you Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, incredible and collaborators. And Porter. And Gregory Porter, incredible collaborators, right? Yeah, oh, spectacular. Before I ask you to play a little piano, then we'll like, I'll let you go I'll home. Play a little. I want to ask you this. In what ways has the music thing influenced the acting thing and the acting thing influenced the music thing in any way? Are they just separate streams, things you do that you both like, that you enjoy? Or is there now some way in which the music is opening up the acting and making you think about it differently or a way in which the acting has opened up the music? Is there synergy? Yes, I, I think there is. You, you know that I'm not so career oriented, but in people's Creative general like, impression yeah. of me that I play piano too, or maybe some of these things, you know, makes for a nice a melange or a compote or a cob salad of, you know, an, an impression <laughs> of some kind. But more from the inside That's out. That's what I'm asking. And more of an That's interest to me. On, yeah. Well, here's the real answer to that. Uh, y- yes. First of all, they're very related. When I act, I'm always interested in music yeah. for one reason or another. It sort of informs here and there acting. and in a very real way and in, in various ways and in ways of improvisation too. If, you, if you're interested in improvisation and acting, yeah. it's not far from, and for me who has some experience with musical improvisation, you can't turn your, it's, it's certainly related yeah. where you go, hey, this is a conversation we're having and my openness to you and my attentiveness to you is going to trigger, here's my answer to you. And what you do triggers something in me. Yeah. That happens in music and in acting, and they they inform each other that way. But also, my approach to my own identity relationship to music has nicely infected acting. Whereas acting, I was always, hey, this better work or else, or yeah. my livelihood is dependent on it, my identity is dependent on it in some way. Music was always, hey, this is just for fun. Now, when I do this, it's more kind of like what I do with music. That's kind of influenced that, which is like, there's no place I'm trying to get. There's no place to get anyway. It's just really the pleasure of doing this, you know, and the inclusion and our openness and, you know, our our intention, our intent to include others in our interesting conversation, you know. You're a, you're a pleasure giver. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and receiver. Yeah, yeah, pleasure giver and receiver. And this place, this is your new home? Believe it or not, this the is... Pen, you used to be at, at Rockwell? We used to be at Rockwell. We were, we've done here. this for 30 years. For three decades, I've been is out and true? about. 30 yes. years? Peter Weller started. We started in my house playing. He said, hey, you know, we should do this out and about. Right. And we found a place. That was about 30 years ago. And then there's been this core band that's kind of evolved. And then, yeah, I've been doing it for 30 years. You're then, like an overnight sensation in music. That's an overnight sensation in 30 years. Well, that's the thing. Because yeah. I didn't expect it to be yeah. anything, I wasn't yeah. asking anything yeah. from it. You know, it's it's part of what it is, is because it's slow cooked in a kind of a, a nice... Uh, uh, what, what's a, a nice slow cooker? Au, au you know, the the a uh, nice crock pot. It's au jus, and it's it's steamed in its own juice. It's steamed yeah. in its own juice. It's just like I have, and it's in a crock pot. So this place we did Rockwell in Los Feliz for a while. Yeah, and now that's closed its doors because after COVID. Yes, for one this, reason or another. So this is your new home. This is the new pen. Well, for now it for now. is. Well, for new. I didn't say I, permanence. I, I said just your new well, home. Nothing's permanent as we know. I I love it. This is called the Pendry Hotel, which you probably as a Los Angeles expert it only went up. I was going to say, I knew nothing about this. When you said this, we're playing at the Pendry, I said at the what? Well, it just got built here. Yeah. This is the location. This is the site where the House of Blues was, oh, as I'm sure you remember. Oh, yes, yes, I've yes, I've read yes, yes. interesting histories of the Sunset Strip and, uh, you know, all, and uh, Magic Castle. She was right around here Magic somewhere. Castle. Right, Magic Castle. Chateau Marmont shit. and Yamashiro. Yes. Above that, oh, my God, Yamashiro. Which my, now has brunches, the griddle. Some, some of my earliest high school dates were at Yamashiro. I was in, in that little gazebo. You know, oh, that, you I know the gazebo, yeah. I know that yes. gazebo, too. So we wound up here. This is now the Pendry Hotel. And this room is now called Sun Rose, R-O-S-E, the Sun Rose. It was the Brightly, but now it's going to be called, because they're just opening up now, the, the uh, Sun Rose. So yeah. we'll be here Wednesday. You'll be yeah. here in a, a couple of days. I, I, can't, I can't wait. So well, just, it's, it's, so what, what am I going to see? Just give, me, give us three minutes of this, two well, minutes I'll, of this, three I'll, seconds of this. Oh, sure. Some, some kind of like... Oh, uh, sure. Play some here. Kind of this record. is a nice uh, piano. Here, I'll play this. You're a genius. You're a genius. Thank you very, very much. Great, delightful. Thank, Thank you. Hell and High Water is a podcast from The Recount. Thanks again to the one and only Jeff Goldblum for being with us. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Hell and High Water and share us and rate us and review us on whatever app you happen to use to bask in the splendor of the podcast universe. I am your host and the executive editor of The Recount, John Heilman. Grace Weinstein is a co-creator of Hell and High Water. Aaliyah Jackson and David Wilson engineer the podcast. Justin Chermel handles the research. Margot Gray, she's our assistant producer. Stephanie Stender, our post-producer. And Christian Fidel, Castro Rossell, that man and his beard are our executive producer. 